the Colby Cast, episode eight. Hope and Bonnie are joined by award-winning author, former presidential speechwriter Colleen Campbell. They discuss Colleen's latest book, The Heart of Perfection, and they talk about the intersection between expectations and reality and how this applies to homeschooling. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much for visiting with us this evening. Well, thanks for having me, Hope. This is great to be with you, and I'm really glad to be joining you. Your most recent book, uh, The Heart of Perfection, I read it earlier this year, and it really resonated with me. And so we're really glad, especially as we're beginning this new school year, to get to have an opportunity to visit with you about kind of that that line between responsibility and scrupulosity, maybe? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe to get started, um, in the beginning of your book, you talk about how you didn't consider yourself a perfectionist for a long time. Although if you were, you, you were like the, the good kind, right? The kind <laughs> who's, like your high standards helped you accomplish great things, really, really amazing things. So uh, could you tell us a little bit more about how people may not think they're perfectionists, but maybe should continue listening to this episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. That's probably the main comment I get on the heart of perfection is I was not a perfectionist until I read it and then I figured out I was. So um, so that's kind of why I opened the book that way, because I think we all have our own image of perfectionists. And for me, it was somebody who was very tightly wound, had no sense of humor, color-coded their socks, you know, alphabetized their CDs, and was that mommy who always had that handmade, like, Halloween costume when I was rushing to the store, you know, whatever. So whatever your image is, um, a lot of us have that, and we figure if we're not that, then we don't have a problem with perfectionism. And that's how I was. I thought I didn't have a problem with it. As you said, I, I thought my, my achievements were evidence only of high standards. And, and um, there's nothing wrong with, with high standards and there's nothing wrong with achievements. Obviously, that's what we want, many of us, for our children. And, and we're certainly um, happy to, to give our best to God and, and, and to the world um, with the gifts that he's given us. But what I started to discover when I had children, and it was really motherhood that opened my eyes, was that um, this this sense of high standards, it, it had gone into high expectations that were really impossible expectations sometimes, and they really um, were very subtle. And what I started to notice was not only that they could be harmful, but that this sense of control, comparison, impossible expectations, beating myself up for mistakes was really springing from a much deeper place of spiritual perfectionism. So that's what I wrote the book on. And that's what I think um, based on my conversations with um, others and, and, and even my own experience, that's where I think a lot of us struggle. And that's where I think the hidden struggle is. And that's why I think it's the most pernicious problem is spiritual perfectionism. In other words, this idea that we have to be flawless in order for God to love us and that the way that we serve God in the world is by striving to be flawless or at least look flawless. And so we may be very lax about maybe the cleanliness of our house or how on time we are or even our 
some of our homeschooling habits. Hey, maybe we're really loose about some of that. But when it comes to some deeper issues, I think a lot of us struggle with this sense that deep down, maybe we need to kind of earn God's love or at least be very good girls to keep God's love. And, and that's really the place where um, motherhood kind of opened my eyes to some of that. And I recognized it was gonna be a problem, not just for me, but for my children. Because if there's one thing all the researchers agree on about perfectionism is that it's handed down through families. Whether it's nature or nurture is a bit of a debate, but it's definitely something if you don't deal with it, your kids are going to have to deal with it in their lives. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me the most was kind of the way that holy quotes may seem to reinforce this idea, like, you know, hoping to hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of your life, or like, to whom much is given, much will be expected. And so I think it's always this balancing act of like the tension between living up to our responsibilities of being given talents and gifts, but not like taking them completely on our own shoulders. And if you have advice on that, I would welcome that because yeah. I struggle with it. I know. Well, a lot of the book, I mean, a lot of the heart of perfection is, is tackling that question. How do we surrender perfectionism without surrendering our idealism, uh, without lapsing into spiritual laziness or this sort of, well, God's going to love me no matter what. So what's the point of trying too hard? Um, so I, that's not what this is about at all. And that's why it's really framed in terms of not simply surrendering perfectionism, but aiming for a new kind of perfect gospel perfection. And we know that all through scripture, we see God, you know, talking about uh, perfection. We hear Jesus say, be, you know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Those are his words and we can't discount them. And that's a call to holiness. But what it is not is a call to white knuckled flawlessness all by myself. I'm gonna do it on my strength. I'm gonna do it the way I think it needs to be done. I'm gonna get holy on the path that I think I need to take. And that's where I think a lot of us think the saints went down that path. And so I was so shocked to find as I researched because my previous book, My Sisters the Saints, um, I've written a couple, my, The New Faithful was before that, but I. Obviously, my sisters, the saints, was very heavily focused on the saints and how much they helped me. And this was a problem. I thought, oh, I don't know if the saints can help me with this because aren't they all perfectionists, right? Overachievers, spiritually speaking. So I was shocked to find that when I started to do some research, one by one, I uncovered these amazing saints who were recovering perfectionists. And it was only when they let go of worldly perfectionism and started allowing God to lead them on the path of gospel perfection, that things changed, that they actually grew into real holiness. So the key for me, the key insight was, oh my goodness, if I want to grow closer to God, if I aim to be holy, perfectionism is not only not the only path, it's actually a dangerous detour. It's not even on the right map. And so what I need to do is work on allowing God to heal me from this so that I can pursue the real perfection, the kind that is truly liberating, the only kind that matters, and that is gospel perfection, the kind Jesus calls us to. I'm so glad that there's uh, growing resources in with your book and your witness. Um, I know that you mentioned St. Francis de Sales and his student, St. Jane Francis de Chantal, um, Colby 12th graders read Introduction to the Devout Life as oh, kind of part of their capstone almost. Oh, he's fascinating. He's, he's a terrific saint, you know, doctor of the church, 
um, didn't give an inch in the sense of, you know, pursuing God's will with every fiber of his being. And yet his message is so much about gentleness and patience with ourselves as well. And I think sometimes we have this sense that, well, yeah, I got to be gentle and patient with my kids or my husband or that lady down the block who drives me nuts. But with me, I got to drive harder and harder. And what Jane Chantal really realized through her friendship with Frances de Sales that she's, you know, she and, and it, just to give your listeners a bit of her story, if they don't already know it, this is a mom of four who was widowed at 29 when she had just given birth to baby number four. She'd actually had a few, I believe, stillborn children. So I mean, it wasn't only four children, but four living children. And so she's just given birth to this little baby girl. Husband goes off hunting with a cousin. He's on the property. Freak accident. He gets shot um, and, and he finds out that he's dying. So she you know, this, this, she is passionately in love with this man. She leaves the baby, flees to the woods, you know, again, over his body. She's just screaming, you know, Lord, take my goods, take my house, take my children. She says, don't don't take him. Well, he he did take him. And so she's left widowed at 29, four kids under age six, I believe it was. She's got this irascible father-in-law who's carrying on an affair with his living housekeeper who insists that if Jane wants to have any access to the money, that she needs to survive, of course, in those days. She couldn't just go out and pick up a part-time job. She's got to move in with him. So she moves into this ramshackle, like falling down kind of um, dwelling with this guy with the affair. Then the housekeeper's got these kids she's had with him. I mean, it's it's quite the sordid mess. And the, and the housekeeper sees her as a rival for the money. So this woman sets her sights on making Jane's life miserable. Meanwhile, she has a spiritual director who sees her perfectionism and thinks what she needs is to drive herself a little harder. So he's got her doing prayer regimens all night long. She's literally not getting any sleep. So she's single mom during the day, <laughs> night she's staying up all night trying to pray because that's what God demands, right? She wants to be holy. And in the midst of this, she's teetering on the brink of basically a nervous breakdown by the time she meets Francis de Sales. And he starts to lead her on this new path. And the key insight that he shares with her and she eventually shares with the world, I mean, everywhere she goes as the foundress with him of the visitation order, is that if we want to learn how to be gentle and patient with others, as God commands us to, we got to start by showing that same gentleness and patience to ourselves. She said, in our own failures and feebleness of will, that's where we have to learn patience, because then it frees us to be more patient and forgiving to others. And for me, that was a really important insight because um, that's not the way I think we naturally approach it. We, we see it as going too easy on ourselves. And of course, sometimes we do go too easy on ourselves in some ways. But often on the things we're beating ourselves up over, those are often not the issues God really wants us focusing on. You know, sometimes it's more our pet peeves than what he cares about. This story really resonates with me as well. Of the the idea of being gentle with everyone, starting with yourself, um, recognizing that of course there there are areas in which we need to genuinely improve, but also we need to have that docility to recognize what those areas are, rather than setting our sights on let's work on this one, and when that might not necessarily be <laughs> the actual thing we need to be doing. Right, right, yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes again that's. That's just the, that's kind of the way the world teaches us, right? It's self-improvement. You get a book on the virtues. Chapter one is this. So this month I'm going to be this, you know, and it's, 
you know, any of us who've been walking with the Lord for any length of time know that he does not, he doesn't follow, he doesn't color inside the lines. He doesn't follow our roadmap. And, and sometimes it's the very experiences we're running from. Those are the ones he uses to take us places we never thought we could go. And we may look up, you know, a year, five years, 10 years later and say, wow, I actually grew through that. And I was doing everything I could to avoid that or didn't even recognize I needed to go in that way. And so that's why so much of the recovering perfectionist saints stories, and, and I have uh, seven of them in the heart of perfection. Each chapter is devoted to one of them and their stories. And then what I learned from it is so much of it is how they had to gradually learn how to do this greater and greater surrender and let him lead them. And then he led them in amazing ways, you know, to amazing places and, and huge changes in their lives. But none of it is stuff that they could have choreographed themselves. I really enjoyed Every one of these stories, you know, we've read lots of saint stories. We listen to saint stories, and but your depictions of them—they're so relatable. It's like this is a real person. Of course, we know that conceptually, but uh, hearing the stories over and over in various iterations, there's something about that. There's a distance there, I think. And then to read your stories, there was really a sense of I'm right here in this scene, in this time period, whenever it is, and it spans the centuries. Uh-huh. And it and it, I really had that up close sensibility and the stories of surrender and like you were talking about these ideas of areas of growth not being the ones that we pick up on necessarily is so relevant right now in the middle of the pandemic with all these different schooling choices you know i think um i think colby mentioned recently that they have a thousand new students wow this year. wow <laughs> people are discovering homeschooling although i wouldn't wish this on them to find it but yeah. i love it now when i say i homeschool my kids i don't get the like yeah and what else what else do you do you know it's not like oh wow i know what that entails okay okay so it's it's you know for some of us it's like okay we feel kind of seen it's nice you know um, and then you also also find you can offer um, some genuine help to folks who are who are dipping their toe in it and, and, and remind them that the circumstances in which they're doing this are not normal and therefore they shouldn't judge homeschooling based on some of what they're undergoing right now in the throes of the pandemic under kind of emergency homeschooling. <laughs> so. That's certainly true. It's been an issue a topic we've we've talked about a couple of times already is this this concept of what this is now is not, <laughs> it's not the complete picture. It's not right. based all of perceptions on what, how this is right now or how it's been. Yeah. Right. I love, I love what you just called it emergency homeschooling. That <laughs> we're going to need to use that. I know. Um, I hope that it's lessened right now when kind of everybody is, like you said, there's some new camaraderie building, but I know that, Certainly when I was being homeschooled, like back before it was cool, there was always this sense of like, are we doing enough? Um, are we teaching the kids what they need to know, especially if they're if you're coming from a background where you're not, say, like a trained educator, you don't have a teaching certificate or something like that, that there can be a lot of hesitance about, can we do this? Can I, can I teach my children? Are they going to know what they need to know to get into college or to find their trade or things like that and so i think that that sense of like are of are we doing enough um like constantly grasping at this undefined threshold of mm. like the platonic ideal of educating your kids right. I guess. like your your message of gentleness and 
constant pursuit of excellence, like you said, gospel perfection, I think that that ties right in. Um, yeah, I, I would certainly say that um, homeschooling uh, motherhood was, you know, very much an impetus for the book. I mean, motherhood, yes, but boy, you add homeschooling to the mix, and then <laughs> if you got any perfectionist demons, boy, did they come out homeschooling. <laughs> but you know, a friend asked me um, a while ago when the book came out, she said, well, now, I'm thinking about homeschooling now. Do you think it made you like a perfectionist? Is that is that the problem? <laughs> I said, no, 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 read the book. It's, it's, it's more like I was a perfectionist, including in my motherhood, and it was homeschooling that forced me to face it. And, and I think one of the gifts of homeschooling, it's certainly one of the challenges, yes, but I also think one of God's gifts of homeschooling is whatever's going on in your family, in your relationships, in, in the way you do things, in the way you rely on God or don't, it's gonna come out in the homeschooling journey. You're gonna have to deal with it. And sometimes there's a sense of, oh, well, then I'll avoid homeschooling or, you know, because then I don't have to deal with that or, or who would want to face those things. But actually, I, I think like any part of life, you know, you're going to have to face them sooner or later. And, and the beauty of the homeschooling journey is, is you do have to deal with them right there in the flesh day after day. And, and you got to work it out. You know, if there's a relationship problem, if there's a problem with your time management, if there's, if there's not enough trust in God or there's too much drivenness or whatever it is, it's going to come out and you're going to have to deal with it. And so for me, again, the challenges of homeschooling were also the gifts because they forced me to lean on Jesus and say, wow, I really, really can't do this. I can't do it patiently without your help. And, um, you know, and I had an image of the homeschooling mother and, and I, I was not that person, you know, <laughs> she was patient and muscly. She was crafty. She was like that, that, that lady who make everything and, and, and her home was always a certain way and her, you know, she was always trading recipes and all these things. And, you know, I, I hadn't held a baby since seventh grade before. <laughs> I had you know, I was that career lady. I was the one who would always buy the cookies at the store to bring them to something. And, you know, I mean, I was just not that lady. And, um, you know, when I got into it, I found out there are all sorts of people who homeschool, men and women who homeschool for all different reasons. And they, and they do so from all different personalities and perspectives and backgrounds. But um, just going into it and recognizing, like, I have some real limitations that are going to make this a challenge. Um, I like to get things done. I like to be productive. I like things to move quickly. I move quickly. I want everyone else to move quickly. And it's just not like that, you know? <laughs> but it's been such a gift, too, because I've just seen how, again, it was my idea of perfect, my idea of what success in this would look like. And uh, that's really begun to change and be transformed. Of course, I still want my kids to go to a good college, and I think they will. And I still want them to be intellectually challenged and prepared, and I think they're getting there. But I also think... Um, that there's so much else, there's so many other gifts, there's so many other things that happen on this journey that you really can't appreciate till you're in the midst of it and until you start handing over the reins, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Definitely is, it's, homeschooling is definitely a magnifying glass, isn't it, on the sort of the intersection of our expectations and perceptions and the reality as it is, it's all those things brought right up close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of on a pragmatic um, tip level, maybe, are there certain practices that you found help you or people that you've talked to who have read your book and want to take it into kind of the day-to-day -day of homeschooling or things to avoid, either, yeah. either one? 
Yeah, well, all through the heart of perfection, there's a lot of, of kind of those takeaways. And so I probably will, I'll miss a few if I try to list them. But, um, you know, I mean, for the end of each chapter, I, I try to kind of give readers a sense of what did I practically speaking take from this, this saint and their story. And of course, I mm-hmm. continue to learn from them. Uh, again, a lot of it is more interior. Um, watching that critical voice that pops up in my head, of course, you know, watching it if I'm feeling critical toward others, but even toward myself, because again, that, that becomes a snowball effect where when we're living by that critical voice, we're more likely to voice it toward others. So watching that kind of uh, beating myself up over small failures or even failures of patience. I mean, that's one that Francis de Sales talks about a lot. He, he has a great passage. I think it's introduction to about life. It might be one of his letters where he says, okay, you're angry. Then you get angry at yourself for getting angry. Then you get angry at yourself for getting angry that you got angry. And it's just, you know, <laughs> it, it's very comical how he portrays it. But I think we've all been there, especially okay. uh, those with children. You can say, yeah, I lost my patience there. Now, do I beat myself up all day about that? Or do I pick myself up and say, I'm sorry, Jesus, let me try again. You know, and, and there's a lot of that. Again, homeschooling, you get very good at recognizing your limits, at starting over, at incrementally improving in things because you can't make huge strides overnight. So that's a little piece of it. In terms of actual practical tips, how to organize your day, I mean, every mom has their own. I know for me, nap time was a salvation. So when it... <laughs> When that went away, we just transitioned very quickly to reading time. My kids, I think, still call it nap time, but nobody takes a nap. Nobody's taken a nap for years. My youngest is six. But um, that idea of just a little intermission in the day, uh, just an hour, go in your room, read books. If you can't read yet, then you draw. You know, now pretty much everyone's you know able to read their books. And uh, the kids love it. Like today was our first day back, and we were so kind of frantic trying to get back in the rhythm that we didn't have time for that. And boy, you know, they were all asking me, when are we going to do nap time? When can I read my book? You know, so um, that's really good. It's a chance for uh, the parent, whether it's mom or dad, to also hit the pause button and say, how's it going so far? Check in with the Lord and just say, you know, where have been the gifts in this day and where have been the challenges and how can I kind of turn it around from here? Or rather, how can you turn it around? Um, the daily exam that Ignatius, one of my perfect, recovering perfectionists, mm-hmm. offers big gift, I think, for all of us children are not homeschooling or not, but it's certainly helpful in the course of a homeschooling day, again, even just at the end of the day. And it doesn't have to be real, you know, the way I used to do it, being more scrupulous, you know, you start with what you did wrong, and I'd be there for an hour, <laughs> just <laughs> fall asleep thinking what a <laughs> I screw up my bed that day, so uh, I don't recommend that. Someone uh, set me straight on that once and said, "Yeah, don't don't linger on that too long. At least given your, you know, your your self-criticism." So you know, okay, there's where I maybe failed that, but but really looking for the gifts in the day, I found that's even better. You know, Ignatius says ingratitude is the greatest sin to God, and, and, and it's really true that gratitude is so important, especially looking for what went right, because you're rarely going to have a day as a homeschooler, just like you're rarely going to have a day as a mother or frankly, as a human being where you're like, yes, I went from win to win to win and I just aced it all. And that was great. I'll just, you know, rinse and repeat. So I think being able to say, yes, okay, wow, there was a gift in there. There was a gift, even in a rough day, you say, okay, I learned something. I learned something I'm not going to do again. Or I learned that, you know, uh, that doesn't work, whatever. Um, so that's helpful. The breaks are helpful. Making time for fun. This is sometimes challenging when you're behind the eight ball and you know you're behind in everything. And I tend to just want to power through. And that's my personality. And I've had to learn to just kind of 
you know what, it's time to take the kids on a walk or a bike ride or now we live in California. So <laughs> beach and just a break, you know, and, and taking care of yourself too. I mean, our culture talks a lot about self-care and it's not all wrong. I mean, you really do need to pay attention to letting the Lord speak to you in a little silence and accepting some help, you know, because it's, it's a hard thing and you need breaks and you need to be replenished. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I love how these checkpoints, the examine and the discernment of spirits throughout the day, all this can cultivate this ability to see this quote you have, what you say towards the end of your book, the path of love is littered with rewards along the way. And these practices throughout the day of checking in like this can help us see those, the rewards that come along and the good things that happen, just cultivating this, the habit and staying in it and sticking close to Christ that way, those rewards, those jewels that that we encounter every day, they are there every day. Sometimes they're quite hidden, but these practices you're recommending are, can help us see them all the better. So Colby is uses the Ignatian method of education. And so I love that you mentioned the examine because I, I don't remember whether that, I don't think that that itself is built into the course plans, but it certainly harmonizes with mm. the overall philosophy and approach of the school. That's, that's wonderful. I mean, the Ignatian, there's so much that Ignatius has to say to us about uh you know, not only education, but just living the spiritual life. He, um, you know, he's one of the recovering perfectionists I talk about in the heart of perfection. He had quite a journey and, and, you know, he was another one of those hard driven, wanted to do it all yesterday. You know, he converts and, and he, he just goes whole hog from, from the beginning, but he starts to notice that, you know, sometimes every grand idea he has isn't actually from God. And um, every down moment he has isn't a sign he's on the wrong path. And there again, I think is an important lesson for those of us who homeschool, because it's very easy to have a bad day or even a few bad days or a string of them and just decide I must be doing the wrong thing. This, you know, I guess there's the, there's the bus stop. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I misread something, you know, or, um, or to overcommit, you know, the, the opposite, this is going so well that I can take on five more things or what's roll them in the soccer and the gym at the same time and then hey, like, we, you know violin's good but we also learn the flute and then next thing you know you're, you're a crazy person you're driving all over town and and your kids are frantic and you're you know you're yelling at them to get in the car so they can go be peaceful at some church function <laughs> you know so, so i mean these are all mistakes you know that i made along the way i know early on when i first started one mom warned me she said now don't forget to actually school the kids, like spend time at home, just being with them and, and teaching them and make sure you have some margin in your day. Sarah McKenzie's great on this in her book, Teaching from Rest. And uh, I think that's important because I think, and for me, that's one thing the pandemic helped with is just slowing down because you know, when there's no activities to go to, you learn that. <laughs> you, then you start noticing, wow, I was so frantic before. This is good to have a little more breathing space. Those margins are so important. That's been something that we've seen quite clearly since we made the transition to homeschool a few years ago is, is the, the margins that opened up for us by uh, simplifying some of our logistics. And I'm a big Sarah McKenzie fan as well. <laughs> I know, like for me, some of my perfectionist tendencies, looking backwards at some of those we're already showing up when I was a child and I'm, I'm not a parent yet, hopefully someday, but I'm like already wondering, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I would parent someone like myself who 
had those kind of perfectionist tendencies showing up very early, like by probably age eight or nine. Um, right. Do you have any advice on that? Like how you're passing it on to your kids or? Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it, I think it is a little bit nature and nurture. I mean, you do, you do, you got to imagine some of this is some nature like it, it seems a little genetic sometimes and I, of course I talk in the heart of perfection about my grandmother and her 12 kids and being president of every Catholic and music mm -hmm. and art society in her town of Green Bay and then she baked the whole wheat bread and then she made her own lunch even though she sent the kids to Catholic school because their lunch wasn't good enough so they had to come all home and then she took them all to mass every morning even though they went to school because you know it's important to go as a family plus she looked like dynamite you know the stiletto heels and the hat and the whole bit so and so that's where I come from. That's my family uh, perfectionist history. Now, my mom was not not like that. I mean, but she'll tell you she was a perfectionist, too, in different ways with her grades growing up and that sort of thing. And, and you know, we all have our own ways of being a perfectionist. But uh, some of that we do probably just inherit. Some of it we learn, though. And I think the good thing, the the good thing about having a child who struggles with this, I think, is is if you have struggled with it yourself, you see the warning signs early on and you know you know what to look for. And I think we can, I hope, you know, spare our children some grief when we see signs of this, because it's easy to think the world is divided into those who are perfectionists and those who are not. But the more research I've done and the more folks I've talked to, especially folks who've read this book, is that. Um, it, it's not quite that simple. I think almost all of us have some thread of perfectionism running through our lives and through our spiritual lives. It just manifests differently. So I think it's safe to say uh, almost all of our kids are going to deal with some version of this at some point. So again, the more we can be aware in our own lives, the more help we can be to them because we can help them become aware. And awareness is a huge part of allowing Jesus to liberate us from this. If we're not aware, we can't even begin that journey. That's so true. Our blind spots can really sneak up on us, can't they? And <laughs> what have we not covered yet that you think would be good? Well, these are all great questions. Um, you know, maybe the only thing I would uh, mention is that the last chapter of the book is about the Sacred Heart. It's also about Therese of Lisieux, of course. But um, uh, we just had our home uh, in, in you know, enthronement of the Sacred Heart in our home. We try to do this in our different homes when we move and um, I've just been reminded all over again of the power of our devotion to the heart of Jesus um, we try to open our day with a morning offering the sacred heart it's kind of like part of our morning time routine with my kids as, and we just started our school year so we you know I gave each of them a little holy card with the sacred heart and the morning offering again even though I give it to them you know a lot so they probably have a bunch by now but um, just that idea of remembering as Therese discovered and Therese suffered from pretty intense scrupulosity when she was young. In fact, before her first communion, she made like a thousand sacrifices. She was counting. Wow. <laughs> and um, she struggled a lot with hypersensitivity. She was hard on herself. And, and as a result, she struggled, you know, with that charity. I mean, we always think of her as just so sweet to everybody in the Krabby's Nun and the Convent and all that. But that was not something that came easy to Therese. It was, it was a process. And over and over, right in her story of the soul, and, and even right to the end of her life, she just keeps coming back to this insight that really was the source of healing for her. Uh, the Lord healing her was that, that, you know, it's okay. When she falls, she just allows him to pick her back up and says, there I am weak again. You know, what do you expect from me? And I'll, 
always giving him her best, not never about laziness or presumption, but simply saying, yes, I am little and weak and I can't do this without you. And one of her biggest insights that I saw over and over in the lives of these recovering perfectionist saints was that we can't love others, ourselves, anyone, the way God calls us to perfectly, right? That's how we're called to love, unless we do so with the heart of Christ. So he's not asking us to be like him so much as to just allow him to give us his heart for others, for the world. And that's what the sacred heart devotion is really all about. And I don't know about you, but I know growing up, I saw a lot of pictures of it and I really didn't understand it. It seemed a little schmaltzy sometimes, some of the pictures I saw. And, you know, when you really get to know how deep the biblical roots are of this devotion, how ancient it is in the church and how profoundly healing it is for those of us who struggle with really any form of, of, of just, you know, seeing limitations in ourselves and being frustrated and wondering if they'll ever change. It's that running to the heart of Christ, asking him to give us his heart, especially toward those people we struggle to love, and then watching as he gradually transforms our heart and makes it more like his precisely through the wounds and the failures that we'd like to cover over and pretend aren't there. That's where the light gets through, right? And, and that's, um, I think, really the the mystery and the beauty of the sacred heart devotion. And so one thing I always like to remind people and that I wrote about in the heart of perfection in that last chapter is that every single one of these recovering perfectionist saints that I wrote about, I was surprised to discover almost to a person had a strong devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. And that was, I think, a big part of their healing journey. And I think it can be the same for us. Mm. Reading about this in your book really it, it was a fresh look at it for me because I, I had a similar sensibility about it as you described initially. I um, opened my eyes to really consider it more deeply and pray about it more, but just putting myself in the in the disposition to receive the wounded healer that way. Yeah. Yeah. I also kind of found it like schmaltzy and like how you put it, but I also sometimes felt guilty. Um, when I would see, I'm like, I'm sorry, I wish you didn't have to do that. <laughs> Eventually, I think it was reading your book, realized like, wow, like, the, it, what was I really saying when I was like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to go through that for me. Like, oh, I'm so sorry I needed a savior. You know, it's directly through these difficult times, not despite them, um, that we are, we grow in holiness and we grow in closeness to the heart of Jesus um, that well I'm glad you you found it uh, helpful and um, it's a beautiful devotion and that morning offering is is a beautiful prayer for all of us but I think especially for those of us who struggle with perfectionism because we're just saying right at the start of the day like Lord they're going to be joys and they're going to be sufferings and they're going to be mistakes and there's going to be the whole the whole range of it in a homeschooler's day you're going to experience it all probably all in the same day and right now, before I get caught up in the in the maelstrom, this is I'm giving it all to you right now, you know. And and I give you the good and the bad, and I know you can bring good out of the bad, and you can make the good even better. And and the good all comes from you, and it's all yours. And at the end of the day, and this is where I sometimes get tired, fall asleep, and forget. But the idea of just coming circling back around and saying all right, and the good and the bad, all of it, it's yours. And help me do your will. Help me love you. Help me love others the way you love them by drawing on the love you have for them because I recognize I just don't have 
the strength on my own. And I think when we're in that position and we feel weak and we feel we can't do it ourselves, that's when we're starting to really get on the real path. That's when we're actually starting to move in the right direction, which is the opposite of what the world tells us, which is, you know, how you know it's probably right. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly a, a, another witness to the homeschooling life, right? We certainly don't know it all. We can't possibly teach everything and we learn right alongside our children. And, right. and here's a good example of that. Well, thank you. This has been wonderful to be with you. We so appreciate you being a part of this. Thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure visiting with you. Yes, you thank too. you so much. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.